Today being September the 18th, I hope, 2016, I'm pretty sure, lecture discussion number 253, I really don't have any idea if that's true, on the Book of Romans. Well, now, last Sunday we found ourselves at Revelation chapter 17, and eventually I'm going to put Revelation chapter 17 as much as I can today uh, on the board for everyone, on both here and in the vast Internet audience. That's the mystery of the great whore of Babylon, particularly appropriate at this time of, of history. I believe that what we are watching is the great whore of Babylon beginning to form. And so uh, it's important that we have a basic understanding of it, if we can, which I think uh, we're going to attempt to do and succeed at both. I also submit, as you've probably ascertained, that the great of Babylon, or the great harlot of Babylon, or the mystery woman of, of Revelation 17, or the great, what did I say, harlot, prostitute, whichever nomenclature you wish to use, I believe that it is an extension of Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22, 12. So Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22, 12, that is the rebellious son followed by this this uh, symbolism, this amazing law that Israel imported into their life that uh, led them to blue tassels. If that's true, and I know it is, I'm confident that it is, then Numbers 15, 32 through 41 is also the logical extension because I go from Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 22, 12. I, I come from that to Numbers 15, 32, 44. 32 through 41, that's the man gathering wood that's executed. And then uh, Leviticus 17, 1 through 16. I won't put those on the board, but you should recognize them as the rebellious son followed by the the uh, things that you do, that you don't hide yourself, that is followed by blue tassels in Deuteronomy 22, 12. Numbers 15, the man gathering wood, followed by blue tassels, the establishment of blue tassels. Leviticus 17, 1 through 16, the man eating blood. So I say those take you to the great whore of Babylon, Revelation 17. Hopefully that makes some sense. That was a mouthful. So the solution to the blue tassels and therefore the meaning of the woman who grabs them, the bleeding woman... And the resurrected daughter of Luke 8, 41 through 54. That woman culminates, and that resurrected daughter also, but primarily that bleeding woman, will eventually culminate at the mystery of the woman who sits on many waters and sits on the scarlet beast, Revelation 17. Do you see how I did that? Maybe I should put it on the board. I have Deuteronomy. 21, 18 through 22, 12. 22, 12, blue tassels. I have bleeding woman. My pen's working very well, isn't it? Those of you, thank you for the person that sent me the refillable pens. I managed to refill it pretty much by myself. That's incredible, I think. Do I need more of these? Yes. I do. Am I begging again? Yes, we've gotten food. Last week we had six pounds of fudge come in the mail. That's pretty amazing, I think. John and Norma. 
of the bleeding woman. Luke 8. Whoops. Tried to write lake. Luke 8. Blue tassels. So, rebellious son, bleeding woman, both have blue tassels. Numbers 15. Man gathering wood. A wood gatherer. Blue tassels. So those are obvious, aren't they? I hope they are. And then I add Leviticus 17. That is the blood eating, or the blood eater. That takes me to Revelation 17. This also takes me, the bleeding woman, because she's bleeding, that also takes me to Leviticus 17, which takes me to Revelation 17. So that's the flow chart, for lack of a better term for it. So I'm saying to, the, to you, the first daughter, there's two daughters in Luke 8, 41 through 54, the first daughter is bleeding to death, her life is leaving with her blood, all hope from every other source has been rendered futile, no one can help her, she's dying In order to live, she has to reach out for the blue fringe on the talent of Christ, and immediately upon doing so, her blood loss, her bleeding to death stops. And from her, we would expect, should expect to go to Leviticus 17, because Leviticus 17 says, 17.11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you, God says, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make a covering for your souls. If you were here last week, you will know that the word atonement really means covering. It is the feast day of covering. And this has a covering theme. All of this covering goes on. Um, I can't repeat it, but understand that uh, you cannot escape the theme of covering. Let me reread this so that you understand how it all fits. I hope you do. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar. Powerful statement. Got to cover that next week. To make a covering for your souls. No one among you, therefore, no one among you shall eat blood. So the reason you don't eat blood is because he's given you the blood as a covering for your souls. That is the purpose of Yom covering, or Yom Kippur. Leviticus 17 lays down the fundamental principle that the life is in the blood that God gives us on the altar. Therefore, don't eat it. Never eat it. And what does he mean by eat it? We have to define God's definition. Does that make sense? Probably not. There are many definitions God's is right. We have to figure out what his is. Never, never, never eat it. If you eat the blood that is made, given for you, that is the life of the flesh, given as a covering for your souls, you will be executed. Whoever does so, executed. So this blood eater, executed. Well, that's coincidental. No, nothing is ever coincidental. Uh, the man gathering wood, executed. The rebellious son, executed. Did you assume that they are separate crimes? 
I would say that it would be valuable to you to assume the opposite, that the executed have something great in common. They're all executed. Obviously, you can imagine the impact now that Jesus had at the Passover when he seemed to violate Leviticus 17.14, didn't he? He said, this is my blood, drink it. You drink, eat the blood, 17.14 Leviticus, that's a capital offense. And so all kinds of questions come out from all kinds of angles. The one that I get the most is, does the word made flesh, which is the omniscient God, does the omniscient God know Okay, that's the beginnings, right? Whenever you say that, does the omniscient God know? That's the beginnings of the most stupid of the stupid questions. Does God know? Never do that to yourselves. Never. Does Jesus God know? And I'm doing it, aren't I? To illustrate the point, being a professional. I know that I should have a stupid sign around my neck as soon as I say, does Jesus know? But let's go ahead. Does Jesus know that Leviticus 17.14 is in the Old Testament? There, I completed the stupid question. I could continue to be stupid. Being stupid is easy. I'll give you an example. Did Jesus Christ forget about Leviticus 17.14 when he instituted the communion service at Luke and Matthew? Corinthians. Actually, Luke and Matthew. Paul did Corinthians. Did the great rememberer forget something that he wrote? Oh, it's been a while. I mean, maybe he wrote the Old Testament and, you know, it took you thousands of years later. He finally came and fulfilled all of it. Instead of marinating my, yourself and myself in the vat of idiocy, let's ask instead. How is Leviticus 17, 14... Matthew 26, 26 through 29, and Luke 22, 19 through 23. How does all of that fit together? Reconcile, if you will. Luke 22, 19 through 23 is where I will focus because I think that's where the clue comes. It helps you understand the reconciliation between Leviticus 17, 14 and the communion service. You could go to Luke 22 if you want. Uh, you don't have to. I'll give you the, bit, the best clue I can. That is where Christ establishes the bread and the cup, 22, 19 through 23, where Christ demonstrates that the prophecies that testify him are hidden in the Passover. So that's one of the places he makes it very clear. And I'm going to give you a resolution, I hope before returning to Leviticus 17 and Revelation 17. At Luke 22:21, immediately after he establishes the bread and the cup, immediately subsequent to identifying the wine and the unleavened bread of the Passover as symbols of his life-giving blood and his perfection or his sinlessness, immediately after he does that, God says, Christ is God, he is creator of all things, he says something right after he did that. What do you think, right after he said that, what do you think he said? He said this. And I never do it justice. 
That's what he says. And I could jump up and down. Watch me jump. That's incredible. You could not get a sheet of paper underneath that, could you? Uh, He said, behold, behold. And I promise everyone knew he got everyone's attention. No one slept through this lecture. When God says, behold, what's going to follow is an astonishing, unthinkable truth that you have not conceived. Behold, he said, behold the hand of my deliverer. deliverer. Sorry, I said that badly. <coughs> behold the hand of my deliverer. It literally means hander over her. It does not mean betrayer. Behold, the hand of my deliverer is with me at the table. So, something to do with the person who's going to deliver him over, that has something to do with the bread in the cup and has something to do with Leviticus 17.14. Deliverance is a biblical theme. Betrayal is not... Betrayal, as a word, is most often translated, uh, I'm sorry, betrayal is, for the word that is here, it's most often translated betrayal. You probably have it in the Bible you're reading, if you're reading along with me. Betrayal is impossible to accomplish with omniscient God. You cannot betray the creator of time. It's impossible. Betrayer, betrayal implies unknowingness or deception. So you have made, did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? You asked that question. Don't do it. Obviously, Christ is referencing Judas. So what we have is God and Judas side by side within the context of the institution of the bread and the body. I'm sorry, the bread body and the wine blood. That remembrance, memorial, ceremony, whatever you wish to call it. The high priest himself. This is the high priest. Who's Aaron? Aaron is a portrait of the high priest. This is the fulfillment of all the high priest prophecies. The high priest himself, of whom Aaron is but a dim type is juxtapositioned with the only person of whom it is said that Satan enters. There they are. Judas is the only person that Satan forms a physical allegiance with. They combine. Judas, Satan, Christ. And that is happening when Christ introduces institutes the bread and the cup. That is why the behold is there. He's put them together. Judas and Satan unite within the body of Judas, thereby making Judas ridiculously powerful. There is none comparable. Now, Christ identifies Judas as this unique distinct person. And he does it during the enactment of the bread and the wine ceremony. 
remembrance. And I submit that this positioning of Judas and Christ is predicted because when the two of them are side by side, I will go back through the Old Testament and try to find where the prophecies of that will occur. Zechariah 12, one of the foremost. But I'll look for others, Zechariah 11 and 12, being again probably the most prominent. And I think that uh, Judas and Christ together discussing the blood of life is predicted, is reflected at Leviticus 17 and Numbers 15. The devourer of blood and the man gathering wood. Now, some of you might wish to point out that Satan will enter the Antichrist. And he will. I respond to that truth exactly. That's right, he will. Now, the question becomes, uh, well, we'll... Discuss that here in a minute. Revelation 17.8. That the fact that Satan enters the Antichrist is in no way inconsistent with the f- truth that the only person of whom it is said that Satan enters is Judas. There's no inconsistency there. You can figure that out without me. Most of you have been around me for a long time and you know where I head with that. Uh, Revelation 17.8 says this. The Antichrist was, the Antichrist is now not, and the Antichrist will ascend from his own place. And John is told that. And I combined uh, Revelation 17.8 with Acts 1.25, for those of you who might not be aware of that. Judas is also the only one of whom it is said that when he died, he went to his own place. So that is an important uh, piece of information, an important fact that uh, we have to revisit. Anyway, Revelation 17 forces this conversation. John knew the scarlet beast. Now, some will disagree. I'm going to make the case of the scarlet beast in the weeks to come. But I'm going to say it here this way, and you can uh, recognize the controversy as time goes by. John knew the scarlet beast that carries the great whore, the great harlot. Harlotry, of course, is the subject of what that I just put on the board? Harlotry is, is the subject of Leviticus 17, the eating of blood. Harlotry is the subject of the man, Numbers 15, gathering wood. So it is only logical that... Leviticus 17 and Numbers 15 will lead me to Revelation 17. And I believe that it does. Revelation 17.8 says that John knew the scarlet beast. That becomes, again, something we have to deal with. In both places, Numbers 15.38, Leviticus 17. Seven, God establishes a statute forever throughout the generations of Israel. So because of what happened in 17, uh, Leviticus 17, because of what happened in Numbers 15 with the man gathering wood, God establishes a statute forever throughout the generations of Israel. And that, of course, is the blue tassels. So all of this is interconnected in such a way you can't separate any of it out from the rest. And if that had not, if that was not enough for you to resolve or decipher the issue of the communion wine and the Leviticus 17 blood eating, uh, because I hope it did, it might not have. 
But just in case, let me throw in something else that will help you. What do you do when you have things that Israel is not to eat? You go find them. You have unclean things not to eat. You have clean things to eat. But you also have probably my favorite. I think the one that uh, really fits the best here is the golden calf set side by side with the Passover lamb. Both ended up being eaten by Israel. How did it go with the golden calf? Both eaten by Israel. And from the lamb, the blood of the lamb is sprinkled over the threshold, over the door, right? The golden calf was ground into powder. And Israel was forced to drink it, Exodus 32.20. That will help you explain the, what you might think is an irreconcilable issue with regard to the execution. Never eat blood, and yet this is my blood. That and the behold of Luke 22.21, the fact that Judas is now over or inside of the context of that. He hovers over it, for lack of a better uh, description. I hope that will help you dissolve what you might see as a contradiction. And some do see a contradiction there, but I don't believe it, there is, and I don't want to just feed it to you. A little golden calf joke there. Polite laughter is always appreciated. Thank you for that. Okay, where was I before I wandered off into what might have seemed to be a disconnected tangential direction. That's not what's why is the tangent always picked on? Why is it that the tangent if you say I went off on a tangent, that's that's an abrupt change of course. Why isn't it the secant or the cosine? Yeah. Why did the tangent take the beating here? Always wanted to know that. How does a tangent get tarred? Tangents are necessary for handrails and rake walls. They're friends of mine. Tangents are friends. I feel like I should defend the tangent. Okay. I'm stalling, aren't I? I'm trying to remember where I am. <laughs> Got it. The great harlot, Revelation 17. We read some of it last week. This is where I was supposed to erase the board. That's what I didn't put down in my notes. Erase the board. So instead... I did what I could because I must maintain some professionalism. Why start now, you ask? Revelation 17. We've read some of it last week. We're going to have to reread it again. That's not a mistake. We have reread it many times here before, that beautiful downtown Cliffside. So it's accurate to say we shall reread it again. Okay. So back to Revelation we go. Revelation 17. And read more of it today. We'll read what we read last week. All because this, I believe, will help you understand the world in which you live today. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, with me. So John has an angel coming to him. It's the first thing you should be doing right now. I'm not going to do it for you, but you should be saying to yourself, where in the Bible has this happened before? 
When one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. So obviously how I set this up is I went back and I found places where harlotry is serious. The person involved is executed. So I have the judgment of the harlot in Revelation 17. I went back into the Old Testament, Leviticus 17, Numbers 15, found judgment of a harlot issue, right? That's how it goes. I hope that's starting to come together for you. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Obviously, I think the little harlots point to the big harlot, right? Who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This is the Apostle John. When something greatly amazes and marvels him, stop. Because he's got a lot more understanding than we could ever, ever imagine. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that tarries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was... So go into the time of John. This is something that was. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend from the out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. So now we know something about the beast that he saw. The beast was. Currently it isn't. At the time this angel was talking to John. It will come out of the bottomless abyss, the bottomless place, its own place, and then it will go to perdition. So that's the order of the beast. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. And I think that word also is a big deal. So he's not just a beast. He's also something else. He's the eighth. And is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. Remember the behold of Christ at the communion service.
For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw. So the angel is now about to explain something to the apostle John. Where else in the Bible has an angel come and explain something to a prophet? Probably ought to go get that scripture. How big a scripture do you think it is? It's pretty darn big. Then he said to me, the water which you saw where the harlot sits, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast. So they're going to kill the harlot. Why? To give their minds to the beast. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the, over the kings of the earth. So there is Revelation 17. And it is very mysterious. Don't think that it isn't. Don't think that it'll be easy. It won't be easy, but it's uh, certainly something that we can solve, which is an extraordinary thing. We live at the time where Revelation 17 can be solved. That's an amazing uh, capability that has never existed until our time. First, always remember that whenever you're talking about Babylon, who ultimately are you talking about? You're talking about Nimrod. You have to go to the origin. Don't have to. You should go to the origins. Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. The city established by Nimrod. Babylon. Whenever Babylon, Nimrod. Always return elsewhere whenever you're talking about Babylon. You're going to go to Revelation. I'm sorry. You're going to go to Daniel 7 as well. So, Nimrod, Genesis 10, 11. Daniel 7, whenever you see the mention of horns and heads. So I have the harlot of Babylon. I have horns and heads. Forces me to go to Genesis 10 and Daniel 7. With that reinforced now, we're going to make lists. Why did you write that if you're going to erase it so quickly? Because of the vast Internet audience that has the luxury of seeing this all in video. So we're going to break this down right now as best we can. A, B, C, tiny little bites. Uh, One of the seven angels. comes to John and says, we're going to take a look at the judgment of the great harlot. The great harlot. That's what we're going to do. This is about the judgment of the great harlot. We can stop right there and ask the easy questions. Easy being a relative term. Which angel is this? 
just prior to this is Revelation 16, where I have seven angels with seven bowls. One of those seven angels comes to talk to John. Which angel is it? And why that particular angel? An angel came and talked to the Apostle John to explain the mystery of the woman and the judgment that the great harlot, this woman, will go through. And where else is there such an experience? That's what I asked you, and I revealed it already. Daniel. Daniel 8, 16 through 26. Gabriel comes to Daniel to explain to Daniel the vision of the ram and the goat. Daniel also asked one of the angels who stood by in Daniel 7, 15 through 16 to explain the truth of the four beasts in the Ancient of Days. Who is the Ancient of Days? Christ is the Ancient of Days. Who is the outside of time one is what Ancient of Days is. The angel Gabriel comes again at Daniel 9 to give Daniel the skills to understand the 70 weeks prophecy. Daniel 10:13, Michael the archangel comes to help Daniel understand. There you see an incredible thing. Eventually, Jesus Christ himself, the ancient of days, days touches Daniel and speaks to him. So Daniel got Gabriel Michael the archangel, at least once, might have got him more than once each, may have gotten Gabriel three times, Daniel once, I'm sorry, Michael once, and then he got the Ancient of Days. That's not too shabby. All of that to help Daniel understand what Daniel wrote. That's one of the most interesting things about uh, Scripture is the people that wrote it weren't necessarily aware or even sure what it was that they had written. And yet it was perfect. A lot of folks do not believe the Bible is perfect. I understand that. It's wrongful thinking. It doesn't take much work to figure out that the Bible is perfect. And therefore, human beings, imperfect human beings, were utilized to create perfection. That's for another day. Needless to say, a full understanding of Revelation uh, 17 demands literacy with respect to Daniel chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. There's this correspondence between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that's well beyond remarkable. It is so incredible. It's, it's amazing. It can't even be described. It's clearly supernatural. There is a clue right there that demonstrates that all of Scripture is the same. The fact that I can see it in Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 10, and Revelation 17, and Revelation 16, Revelation 14, I can see this ridiculous uh, intellect. I can see it there, then I can also begin to see it in every other book of Scripture. <coughs> and that's something that we will, I hope, be able to do for those who may still have issues with that. All that to say, prepare for an exhaustive, therefore exhausting, expositional exercise to come. Revelation 16, 17, Daniel 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, and, and again, it's particularly appropriate considering what's going on now in the Middle East. John is going to see the woman and the scarlet beast, the woman that is eaten by the ones, the kings, destroyed by them and replaced by the beast to be one mind with the beast. Uh, That is Middle East events 
and we are alive at the time when we are beginning to see the, the fruition or the, or the revealing of these prophecies. Okay, this angel has come to John. What have you decided? Is it Gabriel or is it Mike, uh, Michael or is it some other angel? This angel has come to John to show him the judgment of the great whore. So the first easy question is, why is this prostitute called great? She's called great. Great has multiple definitions. Celebrated, renowned, powerful. Also amplitude. I think amplitude is correct, right? This is how we do... Electrical work at the Alaska Railroad. Magnitude, transcendence, if you will. Surpassing, exceeding in size, scope, everything that has come before. This is the biggest prostitute of all the prostitutes. All the other prostitutes were little tiny ones. This is a huge one. I have no... Nothing comes to mind except maybe uh, the Pillsbury Doughboy in some comedy a few years ago about ghosts. This is the biggest prostitute that you could ever imagine. That's who it is. Nothing is approaching, even approaching equality. And we should expect that because the Bible is always filled with types and anti-types. That might be language that you're not familiar with. Types, anti-types. Anti, in this case, does not mean uh, opposite of type or against type. It means uh, the fulfillment of the type. So the type is a small, dim picture. The anti-type is the clear fulfillment. Christ is the anti-type of the typology in the Old Testament. So you see the smallness and then the hugeness. And this is happening with regard to the harlot. It also happens with regard to the Antichrist. The great harlot is not great in the sense that she is to be admired for something. The, the whore is great because of her size. And this angel has come to show how this monstrosity is going to be judged. She's going to be devoured. The devourer is going to be eaten. How ironic. Not only how she's going to be destroyed, but when she will be destroyed and why she will be destroyed. There's a purpose to her destruction. It isn't arbitrary. I've said this many, many times. I'll say it again. There will be no evolutionary philosophy in the earth during the time uh, after the end of the age of the Gentiles. Everyone will be religious there will be no atheist, not a single atheist, not one, everyone religious. You will either be Christ or you will be Antichrist. No one, there will be nothing else. And the destruction of the great harlot leads to that condition. So, that's our first three out of the way. Let's move to the next three. Why don't you put them all on the board at the same time like you do the rest of them? The rest, because this one's, yes sir, this is going to take a long time. Yes, go. 
because of the destruction that she has. The first harlot started the process, but asked this question. Those of you on the Internet, he started out by asking, I hope this is a germane question. I start out every lecture hoping that, that, that there's something germane in it as well. Uh, the question being is, is, Nimrod established an incredible kingdom. He began this process. I'm going to discuss that in just a second. Because you have to ask why and how. But what was the scope of it? How much death did it rake? How much authority did it have? How big a harlot was Nimrod's harlot? Comparatively, I'm saying to you, the great harlot has nothing approaching equality. This is, this is the original Babylon in size. There it is. Oops, that's way too big comparable to the whiteboard. There it is. There. I can actually see that. Not anymore. This one is so huge, we can't even imagine. And John marveled at its size. He was amazed, and the angel said to him, Why are you amazed? Why did you think, did you think this wouldn't happen? He was also, John was amazed at something else. He was amazed at that scarlet beast. That amazed him. That shouldn't have amazed him either. And so the angel lets him know, you shouldn't be amazed. Go. Waters, last week, we, it explains waters. Did you, did you, I even read it this week. She says, or she, the angel says to him, the waters which you saw are, where the harlot sits are people, multitudes, nations, and languages. She sits on the people. Okay? Last week we talked about that in, the, uh, in a little bit. She has authority over. She rules the world in a sense. So that's where we are now. D, she sits on many waters. Isn't it fascinating for you on the Internet that the questions that come from the congregation here almost always get ahead of the teacher by at least two paragraphs, maybe one page. But that's really cool. She sits on many waters, which are peoples, nations, languages. Very important that you understand languages. The E, the kings, they're described kings fornicate. I mean, think this through. Almost any language could be used for this religious system. And they use prostitution, whoring, fornication. Why? Why does the, did, did God make a mistake? Isn't there a better way to symbolize? Please, this is the right way. This is what works here. This is it's so in, important. Not only is there fornication, the inhabitants of the world are said to be drunk. There's a drunkenness. And they drink the wine of her fornication. That is how God describes the great harlot. Notice that she has wine, her wine, 
I would expect that the great harlot would have wine. Back to we are to the com, uh, communion service. So what do we now know? To answer Dana's question in the second role, uh, row, she sits on many waters. She rules the world in a sense, the people and the languages and the kingdoms. She has authority over it, the multitudes. Of the primary meanings of the woman symbol in Scripture uh, are either, usually they are either a nation or they are a ecclesiastical entity. Did that make sense? Whenever I see woman, in this case the mystery of the woman, mystery of the, the female harlot, the mystery woman, that you'll see all of those uh, references to her. Whenever I see the term woman in Scripture, most of the time... It is used of a nation when it's a symbol, or it is used of an ecclesiastical entity, or a religious order, if you will. And Christ did that. Whenever Christ uses the word woman, as he does with Mary, for example, woman uh, from the cross, here is your son, John, this is your mother. That mysterious statement He is using woman as a symbol for the nation of Israel as an example. The bride, the virgin bride, is a symbol for the church of Christ. The great harlot is the first of two satanic counterfeit mysteries. She is the satanic counterfeit to the virgin bride. And she is the first satanic counterfeit. There's a second one. Clearly the Antichrist is the great satanic counterfeit to the Christ. The beginnings of the harlot... As Bill the Cow just brought up. See how far away I was? I was only, what, 40 words, maybe. Okay, 100. The beginnings of the harlot was with Nimrod, Genesis 10 and 11. And the culmination is here in Revelation. Not just 17, also 14. To repeat from last Sunday, it is of significance that a religious entity is a controlling authority. That a religious entity is a ruler over governments. Scripture designs the church to do the opposite of that, to serve, to provide service, to bring salvation, to bring morality, to bring structure, to bring cohesiveness in a society. John Adams, the Constitution, the purpose of the Constitution, the way the Constitution works in this United States is only if the people are moral and religious, which is a redundancy. The Constitution of this nation will not be useful if any other condition exists in the people. The founders understood that religious uh, morality was critical. Religions don't rule. In this case, the great whore is the opposite, the inverse of that. She enslaves and kills. To back up a bit. Consider Aaron now and the blood eater of Leviticus 17. Remember the two of them side by side on the, on the feast day of covering. Yom Kippur, Kafar. Aaron and the blood eater. Aaron is sprinkling blood in order that the people of Israel should live, should be saved. The devourer of blood is eating the blood so that Israel would die. Now, how it is that they die when he eats the blood, we have yet to solve. Or maybe you have solved it. I hope you have. If you haven't, that's why I get the huge sums of money that I get and wear the same pair of pants every Sunday. Those of you who keep track, one they fit. And I'm in a hurry on Sundays. 
Occasionally, Lori washes them. She hides them, by the way. This is, oh, there's a by the way. There's two of them. Lori hides them from me. I have to find them. The rest just don't fit right. And I have seen myself now on camera. It's horrific. No wonder everyone runs for the doors when I turn around now. Anyway, where was it? Somewhere. Aaron is sprinkling blood so that the people of Israel live, save, be saved. The devourer is eating the blood so Israel will die. A cursory investigation of the predominant religious orders of our time will reveal quickly which one of them will rush if they still exist to embrace this great harlot when she comes. Eventually, the role of Nimrod will be uh, will be for us. Uh, we're going to target what he did, investigate it. How did Nimrod become what he became? How large did he get? Who inspired him? How did he think of this on his own? Notice the language, that, again, that the Bible uses. Fornicate, drunkenness, kings fornicate. The people were made drunk. Nimrod created a pagan system that stood in absolute contraposition to Scripture. It's almost a perfect opposite. How did he do it? A perfect negative, if you will. What inspired him? He just sat around someday and said, I think I'll come up with a perfect opposite of Scripture. He didn't even have Scripture. Did Scripture exist? The negative existed before the Scripture. That is not insignificant. The great whore is described as focusing on sensual activity. These are sensual activities, both of them. Fornication, drunkenness, political power is what she has. And she focuses on sensual uh, events, intoxication, intoxicants, loss of self-control, while simultaneously conceding political power. If you will, put it this way. Freedom, free will. I get you essentially, essentially active, and then I get you to concede your freedom. I get you intoxicated, and you give up your will. That's what pagan worship, that is what Nimrod established. Pagan worship has always borne these attributes. Always. Every one of them. Paganism always has this. The pandering to mankind's inclinations towards physical sensations and oppressive manipulative governance. They go hand in hand. Whenever I see someone focusing on physical sensational systems, I can expect oppressive manipulation how it works. Churches are famous for this. Famous. It is almost like rule one in the seminaries. The damage that is done to people from the manipulation of churches is amazing. Why do, why do churches want to manipulate people so much? That's right. Everybody's making the money, money, money sign. I can get you dumb and keep you dumb I can take your money that's how it works every time I get a phone call would you please donate to this political person or this political organization I'll go well why are you trying to oppress me 
shouldn't you at least make me happy before you steal my money, is what I tell them. That's the order. You're out out of order. They don't always understand me, so that gives me 30 minutes to explain it to them. By then, they're out out of time on their call. But it's amazing what they say to me. Let me say this really quickly. Most of the time when I do this little routine, they go, wow, I never knew that the way you get money is to start with this physical sensation. Create excitement. Create emotion. Generate it. Take the money. Create urgency. You've all run for that, haven't you? You've got to buy this car today. today. Look how great you will look in this car. That's physical sensation. That's manipulation. And it's oppressiveness because I'm going to take your money. And you're going to give me a lot more than I should have. Because you are losing your freedom to think. Done ranting. Keep in mind, the purpose of the blue tassels was to stop that kind of stuff. Whenever I saw it, I reached down, I grabbed the blue tassels. Numbers 1539 was a reminder for Israel of their urges to pursue fornication and drunkenness, physical sensations. Ultimately, this is the physical and the spiritual. Grab the blue tassel. Whenever you're about to be a sucker, grab the blue tassel. That's as basic as I can make this sound. This is physical and spiritual, works and grace. Romans 4, a false, misguided, works-based religious salvation or the Christ-blood-based belief, mercy, grace, true salvation. That's what is here. Babylonian methods, sorry, Babylonian methods are ubiquitous. They're everywhere in the churches today. They, they, they're everywhere because they excite people. And people are, desire them. And Timothy tells us, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Don't do this. Money and power comes to those who sell lies. Mankind loves lies. Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 4, 4. This has always been the way, always. Started with Nimrod. How do you know it? The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk. This is to be expected. Drunkenness is typified by certain characteristics. Foremost is the desire to be incoherent, numbed, and stupid. I always say I couldn't ever get myself drunk. And they ask me why. Coach, aren't you ever drunk? I said, well, I didn't think it was a good idea to be simultaneously unattractive and stupid. I wanted at least something going for me. One I could control. People love to be numbed. Many are addicted to being numbed. Ask why? Why? Look at the heroin epidemics now in New Hampshire, Connecticut. Yeah, and now Anchorage. Heroin? You've got to be kidding Why do people seek this out? Revelation 14, 7 through 13 provides more information. Can't read it today, but note in Revelation 14, 7 through 13 that the people that are fornicating and the people that are drunk, the people that are drawn into this desire that can't be explained, the one thing they do is they take the mark of the beast on their forehead, place that mark of the beast alongside 
the turban of Aaron, the holy plate. The whore of Babylon has her wine. It is a wine of her fornication. Jesus Christ, of course, has his wine. There they are again, positioned opposite. His first public miracle was wine. His wine, his wine is a symbol of his blood, which provides covering for the soul, right? The wine of the harlot is drunk by those who worship the beast. And this last five ones, how am I doing here? I've got maybe two minutes and three pages. not going to happen. Okay, we won't do that, but I'll read it. Now we've got to explain into the wilderness, led by the Spirit or carried by the Spirit. Find the places where Israel goes into the wilderness. Find the places where Christ goes into the wilderness. Find the places where the Spirit carries the woman, Jay, the woman sitting on the scarlet beast. Now she's once she was on the waters, now she's on the beast. Full of blasphemy, full. Why is she on the beast? What does full of blasphemy mean? Why is the beast scarlet? There's your great finishing question. Notice the woman and the scarlet beast are in the desert, Matthew 4. In the wilderness. Garden desert. Anyway, scarlet beast is carrying the woman. Mostly commentaries identify the scarlet beast as the Antichrist. Some disagree. So if you want to prefer, you can say scarlet Antichrist. Why is the Antichrist scarlet? Of all the colors he can be, he's scarlet. Some see him as the, the fourth Gentile empire. They see it as a military political Babylon. Remember, there are military political Babylon, there's ecclesiastical Babylon, and there's economic Babylon. There's three types of Babylon we have to differentiate. But Isaiah 1 through 18 explains why he is scarlet. Through your sin, I'm sorry, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. The image that Isaiah portrays is one of this deep, thick, permeated redness, a cloth so red, the stain of sin is so red, it's so congenital that it is impossible to remove it. But God says, even though you are like this, I will turn you white. I'll get the sin out. I'll get all of it out. But God cleans all of the red, leaving only white. Isaiah chapter 1 contains incredible information about God's wariness with man's paganistic tendency. God says that he hates the perversions of his doctrines. He hates the corrupting, the polluting of his truth with worthless rituals and tradition. My soul hates Isaiah 1.14. Isaiah chapter 1 required reading. Got to read it. it. Really is. Same with Ezekiel 13. 2 Timothy 4. Scarlet beast then is a, is a person who is so profoundly soaked in sin, it would be acceptable to interpret him as a person with a murderer so soaked in blood there is no equal in all of human history. Quite the achievement considering Mao and Stalin, the communists of the 20th century. The scarlet beast kills hundreds of millions, maybe thousands of millions. And in doing so, he does it in concert with the great prostitute, and then he does it as the great prostitute herself is destroyed for his benefit. The world religious system becomes the scarlet beast religious system. 
Okay. If all you see, by the way, is the beast as a political military power, then this is just simply a church military combination. There's been hundreds of those. Hundreds of them. This is an amazing thing to John. It's my opinion, and I think it's supported by history and even currently, that a religious military alliance is not mysterious. Islam is a military political alliance. That's not mysterious to anybody. That's not amazing. I'm not amazed by that. I think it's obvious. This amazed John. The Roman Catholic Church was not distinguishable from the political leadership of Europe for centuries. That's not amazing. This woman and this scarlet beast is amazing. So I resist that political military interpretation. Though I know its reasonings, and that's why we've got to do heads and horns. I see this as a satanic mystery, the, the satanic mystery of the lawless one. I see this as Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, the 666, the Antichrist. That's how I see it. That's well, the direction I will go. The goal is to divide the person from the empire, and I think that's the mistake so many make. They don't divide the person from the empire. The Bible will give you characteristics that are specific to different persons or entities. The empire antichrist from the person antichrist. Some more to do next week. Seven heads and ten horns. Purple and scarlet. We started that. Gold, precious stones and pearls. And this full of filth golden cup. That's what we got to do as we work our way through. How many items in that chapter of Revelation 17? We, you, lots. We got 50 to do. We did. So far, not so bad. Six. That's pretty darn strong, I would say.